All right, we, let's pray before we get into scriptures. Let, let's just do that. Let's have a word of prayer so we can understand what God will. When we read your word, we want to know what you meant by it. I want author's intention, not reader's interpretation. We want to know what you're trying to say. We want to know what it meant for the people of the Bible times. So we also want to know how it, how it lives itself out in our lives. So as we move forward, as we go forward, as we engage in what you've put in scriptures, it's going to be there forever, for all of eternity, Lord. We pray um, that we'll be able to hear, that our lives will be laid open before you to where we've got more than margin in our lives for you to be able to work and uh, move and react to what you're doing. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're going to want to find your way to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we'll start in verse 42. I'm just going to give you a lot of runway so that when we dive in, you're ready to dive in with me. Uh, but we're continuing in our Foundations of Faith series as we run up to Palm Sunday, and we've got one more uh, message to come for that. But the goal is to strengthen. We started this at the beginning of the year uh, in winter, which, by the way, it feels like winter, right? I walk outside and like, look, I am the frozen chosen. This is crazy. Why is it so cold? Lord, what have you done? Forgive us of our sins. What has happened? Because this is south. Ain't supposed to be like this, this deep in March. Anyways, I'm just saying. Check your heart. Who knows what's going on? So we're in this. We're looking in this goal to strengthen our faith in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Because you, have to, you constantly have to be giving that tune-up, right? You constantly have to be seeking that because the, the world is seeking to um, untune you, to get you out of whack, out of this rhythm of your relationship with God so that you won't stand for Him, so that they can pass laws and teach kids and do things in your neighborhood that are unbiblical and you're just going to be okay with it because you don't want to seem awkward. But we've got to strengthen our foundation of faith because it's only those that have good foundations that survive the storms of life. And who else would better to know that than us that live on and near the coast? We know what it is. We see it all the time when hurricanes and tropical storms come through. Maybe even a winter was going. Happened to me last night, right? I'm trying to lay in bed, trying to sleep, and all of a sudden, like ping pong balls and pinballs, my patio furniture is just going all over the place. And I could just hear it. I'm like, what is happening? How big are these raccoons? So I was like, I'm going outside. So I secured my stuff. It was fine and went to sleep. But if you don't have a good foundation, you're just going to be tossed about by everything. You're not going to be able to lead people in a good direction. And, and that's why we've been strengthening our foundation of faith in God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit um, in order to do that. And we're going to be looking at, at this a specific text here in a few moments that helps to deal with the goal of generosity, right? The generosity to help us to be more generous Christians and to help others do the same. Generosity is a huge deal, right? They'll, they'll know them and they'll know you by what? The way that you love each other and love others. Well, how else are you going to be able to do that other than generosity with your time, talents, and treasures? So as we, we look and we dive into this, man, I, I heard a great message this week on it. I'm totally going to steal this from this guy um, that I heard, but he said these two things. Um, generosity in the hands of God has no limits. Generosity in the hands of God turns into miraculous things. And he also said this, which really has made me think uh, as I ponder this and just I sort of listen to a lot of guys and just kind of pull in what I can and see what the Lord's like. This is good. That's, that's hot garbage. Don't look at that and don't listen to this. But, but he said, look, you're either moving away from or you're moving towards your treasure. And it just sort of made me pump the brakes of my life for a second. Because he goes, look, if, if you're putting everything in, in your worldly stuff, then what are you doing? From the moment you're born, you're moving away from that and you're moving into eternity. You're going to die. So everything's getting further away. 
Everything's getting, for all your treasures are getting further away from that, you're getting further away from that, or you're moving close to that. It's like, well, what does he mean by that? And then he goes on to explain your treasures in heaven, right? What does the Bible say? To store up your treasures in heaven, where what? Moth won't get and eat and chew up, where rust, which we know about rust on the salty coast, right? Just go buy a grill and see what happens in two weeks. Just rust. Where thieves won't break in and steal, so when you're living this your, your life, you're either, you're either moving away and further away from your treasures um, or you're moving towards them. And I certainly want to be a person who moves towards his treasures in heaven, right? Who's, who's storing up, as the Bible says, your treasures in heaven, your, the rewards and the inheritance that wait for there. And does it mean the things that, that behind us are bad? No, it's just saying, where is your foundation set? Remember the Bible says we, we move towards um, our heart follows and chases after our treasures, our, our talents and our time. And I thought, man, that's really good to think about because those things that I leave behind, I'm not going to care about. No one in heaven is worrying about paying their taxes on April 15th. They're not. And today I'd say bless them, and I look forward to being that someday. Those things have all faded away. So uh, let me just, when we talk about generosity, let me share this one thing with you to just kind of help you know, like if there's one thing you remember, one thing about generosity you need to know is to share the generosity of God through Christ with your time, talents, and treasures. It's not generosity if you only keep it locked up inside. You know that, right? It's not generosity if you eat the whole plate of brownies. Guys, you with me? Yeah. I brought all these brownies for you to look at while I eat them. That's not generosity, right? If you're always controlling the streaming media or the things, or, and, and you can tell because those streaming media sources will judge you hard, right? You pull those up and it's like, what's all this stuff? Where's all this coming from, right? And it'll just tell you that you're the one who's controlling it. That's not generosity. Now, when you start thinking about true generosity, you think about what God's done through Christ, right? First, we think about salvation, that he sent his son Jesus, what? For everybody, so that none would perish, so you think about that. Jesus came to do, we're talking about that in the time in the back in our prayer time about how Jesus came in order to, to seek and save the lost, to set us free. So you think about that first deal. For 4,000 years, man had been trying to perfect the laws and the ways of God. And God said, here's what the laws are going to do. They're just going to point your sin out. That's its strength. You're going to see where you're weak, where you need help. Just like my kids in homeschool, when we send all of their grades in and those grades come back. And then they're like, here's where your kid's weak. And then here's their grade. And they're like, I thought I was doing better. That's not what this judgey judgerson says. They said you need to work on this subject, right? So when you, when you start talking about generosity and you start thinking about those things, you think about salvation and the need for that, that every person that you meet needs to be saved. They, they are born with sin and God needs to save them. And if they're past the age of accountability, then they've, they've committed their own. They need to be set free from that. But not only is it salvation, but it's provision and protection. Even life fulfillment. I mean, it could just go on and on and on and on. In fact, this entire series has been about God's provision and protection for us of fulfillment. Where does true protection come from? Where does true life fulfillment come from? It comes from doing what God tells us and walking into the center of his will. To seek and go after what he has and, and that he does this Always, right? You guys know that verse? He makes rain what? Fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He makes the sun shine on who? The righteous and the unrighteous. Sinner or saved. This world exists. Every person, regardless of their belief in Jesus Christ, can come and enjoy our beach in which where we live. They can all come. And he says it will not consume you because the will of Christ has it. So all of these 
wonderful things that we want to dedicate our lives to. God has, has put those out there, whether it's a time, a talent, or a treasure. And he says, look, you, we need to strive with those things to do that. And not just one of them, but all of them. All of them to do that. And, and let me give you some context to this. Just some context to help us sort of play this out. You're going to see it in Scripture. But day by day, we need to devote ourselves to being biblically generous. There's always been a wave of humanitarian goodness that has gone since the dawn of time when man has existed of just doing good things. But that's not being biblically generous. Just doing something good to feel good or doing something good to assuage your conscience or to check a, a ritualistic mark off of something is not what God's calling to because devotion changes all of that. Devotion is you're all in, right? You can be made to do something, but it doesn't mean you're devoted to it. You would say that on some Monday mornings as you're driving to your job, right? I am not necessarily devoted and deeply in love with my job, but it does provide certain things that I do, so I don't really feel like I get to do it. I have to do it, right? So this devotion and biblical generosity, which we're going to look at, is something that, that daily should be happening. You should wake up with, with that, that joy and like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to show the generosity of God, the Christ, that he's shown me through salvation to other people and through the life in which I live? Because God was certainly doing that when he walked there. So he, the first thing we have to talk about is, is biblical generosity makes a way for God's best to take place in a practical way. I'm going to read that really slowly so it sets in. It's just an oratory trick, right? Biblical generosity, start scribbling frantically this note, makes a way for God's best to take place in a practical way, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good, the scripture says. Rest in him, Psalm 23. I mean, there are, there are engagements with God that are that are real and true and, and, and will, will change you for the better. And it will not only happen in these mountaintop experiences, but also in, in the mud and dirt and the burning fire of your life that you've created. God says these things can come. Or when you step into that for the good of someone else and for God's glory. So you have to start with salvation. You have to. There's no way to be biblically generous if, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't live in your heart, right? If, how can you be generous if you've not accepted the greatest generosity that's ever been given, free grace? You can't. So you can run around and do all the works you want, read any of the chapters in the Old Testament, and that's what you'll see. People running around all the time, and it just lasts for a minute. You guys know how that is. Um, New, Year's, New Year's resolutions, diets, biblical commitments. I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. I'm going to now read through the Bible in two years. If I can get to it before I'm 85, I'm going to read through the Bible so that I can tell God. Right? We know how that goes when we try to, through sheer will, do things. But generosity puts himself in glad submission to Christ and goes, look, you take this, God. You run with this. I'm going to follow after you. And salvation is the first place to start. This what? Free gift of grace. Through no works of your own. It's offered and it's given. You just simply have to receive and respond. You know that, right? God's not like clean yourself up and up, then come. He's also not like, get yourself so dirty that it just magnifies yourself more than what I've done. He doesn't do that either. He's like, just where you are right now, online, in this room, just come and be saved. That's what he says. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? You just come as you are. And then he's like, and then I'll do that. In fact, I've already done the work. Christ already paid for it. 
And then when you realize what he's done, forgiven you for your sins, saved you from the fire cell, provided this, this just cornucopia of unlimited feasting on his goodness for all of your life, wisdom beyond your years, strength and healing, miracles, signs and wonders, you're like, what? Yes, every day I'm going to devote myself to bringing this out to other people. And then that's when it gets fun and that's when it gets creative. That's when you can start really impacting lives for the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God dwells where? In the hearts and minds of men, women, children, and teenagers. All right, let's take a look at our passage of scriptures. If you're not a Christian, that's the first place. And is it that, isn't that how great God is before I dive into this verse? When God's like, I want, you to, I want to, you to be more generous, what does he say? I'm going to do that for you first. Like he paves the way for that. It isn't do a bunch of stuff, then you'll experience my generosity. He's like, you don't even know what that is. I'm just going to do it for you. It's Christ and the empty cross and the empty tomb. And I love that about generosity. He's like, you just, he, doesn't even, he doesn't even let you just really try. He's like, I'm just going to show you, do it for you, and then you'll be able to make that. And not only that, I'm going to move in. I'm going to move into your heart. I'm going to live and I'm going to dwell there, and then we're going to do it. Okay, Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47, the, the fellowship of believers and this just sort of generosity that is incredible. All right, uh, verse 42. And they, they being the new believers, Christians for the first time, like the first Christians ever. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds um, to all <coughs> as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they're, they're breaking bread in their homes. They, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Um, they're praising God and having favor with, with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you see this in it. The, like there's so much here. And you'll rarely go to a good, biblical-loving church that won't somewhere have this hidden in their website or their cane. What kind of church are you? We're an Acts 2 church, right? We're, we're what we talked about uh, last past two weeks. We're uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission, right? We're, we're uh, Matthew 22, the, the Greatest Commission. You're going to always find this because we're always trying to, in some ways, more get back to this model because it was, it's so good, it's so pure, and there's so much generosity flowing in and through these. But before we dive into the details, I want to I put the macro picture on this for you. The reason they're this way is because of the generosity and for the glory of God. That's why they're actually able to do it. They didn't really just get together and go, you know what, here's what the world needs, an institution. Here's, here's what needs to take place. Now it grows into that over time, but in this they're like, let's just live out our faith in front of everyone who hates us. And even in verse, I mean, you sh here's what's crazy. Verse 46, and day by day they're attending the temple. Who killed Jesus? No, who did Jesus allow to give his life for before them? The Jews. So where are they going? To their house, the temple, the Christians. Can you understand that? That's like finding the person that hates you the most and having lunch with them every single day. And talking to them about all the reasons why they hate you. But here's why you should love them. You've got to understand the kind of generosity that's taking place here. They're, they're sitting in places where these people, they literally want to eventually, really just the next chapter over, want to kill them. We start to see the martyrdom of Stephen. And then the ball just starts rolling with this guy named Saul, who is later also called Paul. 
And they're in the midst of them being generous every single day. We're not hiding. We're right here. It's just, that's crazy. That sticks out to me. And why are they doing that? Because of what God has done for them and because they want to be born-again disciples. And they know that God works through generosity in mighty ways. They're seeing it in the midst of these verses. They're like, look at all that God's doing in this handful of verses. And generosity is a, it's a kingdom of God quality. That's why this is so important. It exists regardless of circumstance or relational status. They're generous to both people that hate them and both people that love them. They're generous to both people that hate God and both people that love God. And maybe more specifically, that, that hate Jesus and they love Jesus. And they're just doing this. And they're expressing this generosity in kind of <clears throat> two, maybe three ways, sort of in the big picture here to follow those in that. In order to seek and serve those just like Jesus did. So that the lost may be found and those that are already found that are already Christians might mature. So like, let's just do this thing. Let's just not play at this, but let's just go and pursue and move after. In verses 42 through 46, here's what you see. You, you see great examples of generosity among each other. So among the believers, you ask the question, okay, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, now I'm a part of the family of God no matter where it is on the planet, Right? You have more in common with a Russian Christian than you do an American who hates Jesus. You know that, right? You have more in common with them. So God's like, now I'm living in this world. God's transformed me. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. My sins have been forgiven. Where do I go now? So, so they start working it on themselves, with the, and they become generous with their time. Right in verses, verse 42, let's just look at that, and 46. So verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread to prayer so they're doing all of these things together and this example in 42 is is all about um the apostles teaching what is that that that's what we have in the in the gospels and many of those they they've also the apostles also taught from where what we would call the old testament so they're devoting themselves to it they're all in they're all learning then they move into this this thing where they're also and they're doing all these at the same time right don't just be generous with only your time or only your talents, or only your treasures, but be a generous person, a Christian who is generous in all their ways. And that's what you're seeing fleshed out here. They devote themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now, the breaking of bread is, is synonymous with communion, and it means communion in this place. We'll also be able to see here in, in um, some other verses how they break that out. In verse 46, we can know that we see examples of that as it moves to the New Testament. And day by day, attending the temple together, in verse 46, breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad hearts. So every single day, every single day, some group of them worship together in their homes and in the temple. And what took place in that example is those homes, or what we would call the local church, that happened. So really what should be happening is we should be clamoring, screaming, praying more that we have places to worship every single day. In fact, we would be much more in line with the biblical model if we were worshiping every single day. If these doors were open every single day for people to come worship. If, if you were doing that every single day that it took place, that, that's the model, right? Day by day they were doing this. Day by day they were taking communion. Every single day they took that together. I mean, think about it. You're, you're literally, well, let's say weeks, months away from Jesus instituting communion as it took place. 
So they always broke bread together. And then that breaking bread was also synonymous with having meals, which we see in 46. So they would have what was called the glad meal or the meal of gladness. And they would come and they'd eat the meal of gladness just like Jesus did in scriptures. And then at the end of that meal, they'd do what? They'd have communion together. Why? Because Jesus said so, which is a good rule of thumb, <laughs> right? If Jesus said so, I should do so. Because you don't want to have that conversation in heaven. I know you said, but he'd be like, mm-hmm, over there, right? So you don't want that. So what's happening is you see this generosity of time with each other. So, so how can Christians be generous with their time by helping each other worship and be devoted to God together, devoted to God together on a daily basis? The, the, the standard foundation is, is kind of what we do here, and I understand the, the Western model of, of worship and worship and all that tracks through human history, but you, you want to follow Christ and be generous with your time, then you should help encourage others every single day to worship him, and you should do that with others in what that means. Now, it's not always going to look like this, right, a full-blown worship service. But I guess you could do that at the YouTube channel and pull that up and go, lunchtime, and just play, and like, let's do this at lunch. You could do that. But it means every day you're striving. That's generosity of time. In fact, that's what the early church fought for. How can we do this more? And these people had jobs, but you understand that. They had jobs. And we're just giving away land and possessions to people for free. They had things they were doing. How else did they have things to sell? Because they worked and they earned money and they did those things. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I would say to you on a daily basis, they were generous with each other with their time, talents, and their treasures. And they used their homes. Remember what we talked about um, last week? That discipleship begins in the heart, or uh, yeah, begins in the heart, but the headquarters for discipleship is your home. That's where it is. It, it, it's, it's been there, always. Even before the New Testament, in the Old Testament, the, the place of God, his tabernacle or his temple or his tent, and whatever iteration that took place, that's where discipleship starts. God's word would come out to someone that would disseminate to others. And they would all gather around and they would build, literally build their cities and towns around the temple as its focal point, both visually and geographically. So God's just like, look, let's just continue this. Let's continue this. Let's continue to move on into those. So you see this generosity among each other, communion and prayer and fellowship, and they're, they're breaking bread together. With, and I love what that line says in verse, 30, verse uh, 36. They had food with their glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. And they just, and it's more than sharing. It's more than sharing. And you're going to see that here in these next verses. In verses 43 through 45 and 47, you see generosity among um, the community. Because you couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't stop them. I, I think that's the, really a, a clarion call for the first century Christian. Is that they would literally give their life so that people would know about Jesus which is crazy to think that. But it's happening on our planet now, all over the world, in countries right now. People are giving their life because they love Jesus. And they're being killed by their own family members because they love Jesus. Man, what a glorious resurrection it'll be for those people who've given their life for that. In verses 43 through 47, let's just talk a little bit about how the community sees and receives this sort of generosity that takes place, right? So they see God at work 
through his people and his resources. And it's not only a generosity out of abundance, but it's also a sacrificially, right? And then all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done um, through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing proceeds um, to all as any had need. So they basically in, come into the world and they're like, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna show the love of Christ? Let's just follow the Holy Spirit and start meeting needs. The, the hospitality of caring for the sick originated with the Christian people. Remember, this is a time in festivals where they would have, hmm, mixed crowd, how do I say this? They would have a variety of lurid festivals that would result in babies being born. And when those babies were born, they would literally throw them out onto heaps and out into the plains. Who went and rescued those kids when no one wanted them? These guys did, the Christians. They would go out to the edge of town, beyond even where the lepers were, and they would grab these discarded babies that were born out of a variety of sinful actions, and they would save them and raise them and care for them as their own. When people were sick and discarded because they couldn't produce anymore for society or or help the Roman Empire in any meaningful way, who pulled them in and cared for them even if they didn't love Jesus? Christians did. They brought them in. Why do we have, I don't care what they tell you, the reason we have the hospital system we have today is because the Christians started it back in the first century in caring for people. You can read extra biblical other histories where um, other historians would say, I don't know what's up with these Christian people, but they love people genuinely with all that they have. They welcome them into their homes with glad tidings and great joy. They feed them from their own cupboards. And they care for them with their own medicines in ways regardless of who comes through their door. There's no one else on the planet that does that. And they do that for their Lord, who is Jesus. This is what an unbelieving historian has written. I think his name is Erastus who wrote that down. Even he saw it because there was so much all in things that took place. So much opportunity that was there before them. And they just looked around their neighborhood and goes, what? This is what they need. People need to engage there. How is every soul getting in awe of God? Christians loving and living generously with their time, talents, and treasures. That's how people get in awe. Because who else is doing that? No one else is doing that. Another faith is promoting it that way because they can't. They don't have the one true God. They don't have the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the community just begins to see and receive and the distributing and signs and wonders and, and miracles that took place and all of that is happening because people are willing. Then the community begins to benefit. We see that in these scriptures. Every single day, God is praised. The local church is blessed, the community is blessed, um, and everyone is truly better for it because of the generous use of people's talents and treasures for God's glory. So generally, when you talk about generosity, most people begin to get worried and get nervous and make sure their passwords are locked for their online banking accounts because they're like, it's the money talk, right? That's what most people think. It's a tie deal. But God, God's blown that out more. He's expanded that out more. Now, there are lots of discussions that we could go down the money trail if we wanted to, right? 500 verses on faith, 500 verses on prayer, 1,000 verses on money just from Jesus, of everything that Jesus taught, which means one about every four times he taught something, was based on finances as well. But what you see in this generosity is is not only abundance, but a sacrifice to to really bring it out in all their lives. Because people are like, look, I can't give that, but I could open my home. 
I've got an extra room. The kids can stay here. We can do that. And they start to figure out and think of ways that they could do that in all of their places, where they work, where they worship, where they live, and how they dwell. And this starts to take place. And they start to give not only out of abundance, but sacrificially for God's glory and others' good. Because people are going to start asking questions. Why are you so, whatever, nice, loving, thoughtful? Why are you even here? This is weird. And they would tell them about Jesus Christ and what he did to save their soul and why he was here and and that they just want to express it and let them know that God desires for none of them to perish. And these other gods that line the streets of Corinth and line the streets even in Jerusalem, these are not the gods in which you follow. They're all stone and wood, jewels, diamonds of fakeness. So he pushes that out to them and goes, look, day by day we seek to do that. That's what you see in verse 46, day by day they're doing these things and pursuing and moving after. So how can Christians be generous towards community? By living biblically open-handedly with your time, talents, and treasures, right? So here's the deal. Now, if you want to hold on to something and keep it, what do you do? You close your hands. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You've been riding a boat out a little too far off of the ocean shore. You're hanging on like a crazy person, right? You don't want to, you hang on to it. You hang on to it. You want to keep something that's for your own. There's nobody, you just, you hang on. But the kingdom of God who, who calls us to live open handed, then what does that mean, right? That God can both give and take away. So if you're open handed with all of your time, talents, and treasures, God can certainly grab that and he can take that away from you. But you know what else he can do? He can actually put something in there that you never could. That when you live an open handed life, God can place something in your hand that is truly miraculous whatever it is that he needs to do for that time that can happen so he says live open-handed that's how we respond in our community how can christians become more generous live biblically open-handed with their time talents and treasures so that others are saved and disciples are matured when you're open-handed and you live for that then that um, signals to god that you're ready to go because if you live with clenched fists and you're not sharing then what you've got to learn that lesson that's how it is with my kids. I can't be as generous as I want to be with them because until they fully learn the lesson of generosity to share and to care. And they do that better than other days. But when they're fisted, when they're closed, when they're not willing to give with their time, talents, or treasures, then, then that changes the lesson. Just like when you talk about generosity, and go, man, I would love to have God's wisdom, provision, and protection, but you're not a Christian. The message changes to what? You need to be saved first. That's your number one need. But then after you're saved, you need to be able to live open-handed. You're not taking any of this stuff with you. None of it is coming with us. All of it's going to be left behind and left for someone else. And and that is a good thing. The Bible tells us that. We have to live like there's there's no tomorrow. To follow the Holy Spirit as he he leads and provides. It's the generosity that that calls and, and pulls people in. It, it, it speaks to them in a way and, and makes that, and you can do it in, in tangible ways, relational ways, and all kinds of that. In fact, we know we exist. I say it this way. We, yeah, we exist to bring God glory and make disciples. And generosity is an important part to that. Remember what it says in the Bible about the great king who had forgiven um, his servant just a massive amount of debt? A massive amount. Let's just say it's in the billions of dollars just so you can feel the weight of that. Because what happens in the first century in New Testament, there was this thing called debtor's prison. 
which means one of the worst things that could happen to you was that you would be put into debtor's prison because then they would say to you, you don't get out till what? You've paid off your debt. What? How? Like, how does that happen? Like, how am I like, going to have a job there? How am I going to make money to pay my debt off? So you kind of see the cycle there. And not only would they do that to you, but they would take your entire family and throw them into prison as well to motivate you. So all the kids and whatever, they just throw them in there. And they'd say, go figure a way out of this. Find some way to, to be set free. And God says, look, I, I provided the way in Jesus. So based on this message, what can we do to become more like Jesus? And let's just talk about our worship. Our worship. Here, inside this building, outside. Plan copious Christian calendar time. Spend more time with God and other Christians to become Christ-like. We don't want to breeze over the day-by-day thing. We don't. And they got together all the time. They met all the time. And they talked and they discussed. And they helped each other and they encouraged each other. So there needs to be more time. Right? We, we sort of start with that. If you could just fit Jesus in the, the margins of your life. But that's not what he wants. We just say that to ease people's conscience or to make it less awkward. But the reality is that God wants to be in a full-on relationship with you, not just in part or parcel. So think about how can I make more time with God and for other Christians to become more Christ-like? Because that's what they did. That's generosity with your time. How can I be generous with what my time is? So just look at your calendar and, and plant copious, uh, abundant lots of time for that to be able to dive into those things. You won't ever regret it. You're never going to be in heaven and go, you know what? That was just too much time with Jesus. That was crazy. Because you know what? When you get to heaven, you'll be like, wait a minute. Jesus is here all the time. And he's never leaving. And I'm never leaving. So you might as well get used to it now. Get used to it now. And help people to do that the same way as well. And, and you do it in ways that... They're not only private, but, but here when you're talking about generosity, generosity is a, is a public thing to, to help for the glory of God. Remember, that's where this all started. This all started with the generosity of God in people's lives, and they're just trying to figure out how do we explain that out. Let's talk about community. Well, when you're in community, which means two or more gathered, right? Well, that's the Bible standard of community, two or more gathered. They don't even have to believe in Jesus, just two or more people. Use your treasures to point to your greatest treasure, right? Open-handedly, publicly, and purposely, Praise God. And use that as an opportunity to help people understand about the love of Christ and take every opportunity. I won't tell it now, but I told a story on Thursday night about Miss Sally. How I met her at a park bench where I had the kids over there and they were playing. So my kids are playing and have fun. My kids are a treasure to me most of the time. And you know, you just know how kids are. You're like, Lord, help me. <laughs> you know? But they were playing and having a good time. And I sat down with Miss Sally and we had a conversation right? There's a lot of things that you can do to to point to your greatest treasure because you're either moving away from and moving towards it, right? You don't want to be, you don't want to be raptured up into heaven if the Lord comes for you and and then longingly looking back at earth going, oh, I'm leaving all that. But an open-handed person's got nothing to lose because God's given them all. In fact, I would say it to you this way, how much of God's stuff are you going to keep for yourself? Ooh, you're right. You should have wore your steel toe boots this morning. I mean, because do you really truly have anything in control that didn't come from him? I don't. I didn't make my own life. I didn't choose the kids that I have. I mean, God chose my wife for me. 
And all of this that I live in exists is just stewardship at best, as he told Adam and Eve. You're going to name, you're going to steward, you're going to grow, you're going to multiply, you're going to reproduce, you're going to take care of. But who's it all? You're not going to find my name written on any name tags of anything on the planet. You're going to see God's name written in the hearts of everybody. So how much of his stuff am I going to wrestle with to try to keep for myself versus living open-handed for others? Here's a great way to serve people based on this. Um, Sacrifice so others will know God. Meet a need the way the Holy Spirit tells you. I thought about launching into a bunch of examples here and going, do this, but I think probably the most helpful thing to say to you is you meet a need when the Holy Spirit tells you to and how to do it. Now, this isn't, because I know some of you are like me sometimes, a scapegoat to where you're like, loophole, thank you, Nathan. The Holy Spirit didn't tell me to do that, so I ain't doing it. That is not what this is, American Christian person, because I know how it is. You're like, is that really you, Lord? Then the opportunity missed to go, oh, I guess that wasn't you. And he's like, it was. You just missed it. So I would say to you, sacrifice so others will know God and, and follow the Holy Spirit. He desires that for you every single day to live generous in what you do. And he's going to tell you. That's, that's the best way I could think to say it. In specific circumstances, I could tell that. But since we're talking about time, talents, and treasures, you have to have an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Well, if you're a Christian, you already have that. And he's literally living in you. Dwelling, his, the Spirit is in you, coexisting with your Spirit. So I would just say to you, meet a need the way the Holy Spirit does. You're not always going to give the guy on a corner something, but sometimes you are. And I would tell you this, it's better to edge on the side of, of too much than not enough. But if you follow the Holy Spirit, he'll just tell you. He'll just tell you when to do that. And multiplication. Multiplication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order for generosity to continue to magnify and sort of wave itself on others, you need to daily put all that you are and have in glad submission to Christ. Everything. Don't hold anything back when it comes to fulfilling God's will. You can read in the Bible and find countless stories of people that held back from him and what happened. You can probably find instances in your own life from your own story with God, your grace story with him, where you're like, oh man, I just held back and this is a deal. Because think about what is happening on the other side of this when you put all that you are and all that you have in glad submission to Christ. You're free. You'll be free from that sin that so easily entangles. You'll be free from people-pleasing but still be able to be a peacemaker. You're going to be free to fulfill your created purpose exactly where God put you to live and work and worship. You're going to truly be free because you're like, I'm never going to run out of anything because Deuteronomy tells me that when I'm lack, there are others that have plenty and they will give. And then when I have plenty, I'll be able to give to those who don't. But does God's wisdom ever run out? No, church, it doesn't. Will God's strength to care for you and pull you up and celebrate with you on the mountaintop ever be too weak? Nope. We ever know, not know what to do and be surprised by something you've done? Never. They're never going to have a powwow session as a trinity and go, what do we do? This is new. Never, it's never going to happen. We ever have too much that's going to feel... I heard one pastor say it this way as we, as we work to the close of this. Um, one pastor said, the problem with humanity is we're stuck between Job and Solomon. And we're never going to be at the extremes of either of those to find the freedom that those guys have, but we can learn from them. Which Job? Job had everything taken away from him. All of his family, all of his goods, all of his health, everything was taken away from him but his very life because God told the devil, you can't have that. So he was totally stripped down to the worst of his life 
just looking around so much so that his wife and all of his friends were like, just curse God and die. I tell you, you're in a bad place when even those that love you the most are saying that to you. But then you've got Solomon on the other side. The dude, remember we did our whole series, Life Under the Sun, uh, probably like a year ago? We talked about how he got annual tributes that would equal to over a trillion dollars. So he basically got at least $4 trillion in our money today every year in annual tributes from the rest of the nations and the worlds around. You will never know that kind of wealth and money. You will never know the kind of pleasure and the depths that he went to to seek it. He put his mind to go, is there anything that, that could fulfill what I have? And what did he say time and time again in Ecclesiastes? Everything is meaningless. Everything is in vain. And we live in the middle. If I just had a little bit more, if I just pursued a little bit more, or we're on the other side, if I could just get rid of this, or when the kids are gone, or, or when, when this is gone, or, or when I get that, or if I could just minimize my life and streamline and get rid of all this stuff, then I'll be able to achieve. And God says, no, that's not going to help you be more generous, and that's not going to help you find fulfillment. The fulfillment is to be open-handed right where you are and be a good steward with what God's given you, your very life, your emotions, your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as we talked about. You love God with all that and love your neighbor as yourself, right? The golden rule every day. So I'd say to you, put all you are and all you have in glad submission to Christ. And just wake up each day not trying to hold on to stuff. And, it, and that stuff's going to be good stuff, stuff that God's given you. But allow him to work and, and figure out how that gets distributed, how he's going to use your personality, how he's going to use you when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed to be generous to those who are around.